When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Films Wedding SVUs presented by Movies On Demand on cable. Bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. In a bigger splash, Tilda Swinton plays a famous rock star vacationing with her lover in Italy when she receives an unexpected visit from an old flame and his seductive daughter. It's now playing on demand. Also playing on demand is The Meddler, starring Susan Sarandon, as a recent widow who moves from New Jersey to Los Angeles to be closer to her daughter and to start a new life. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And on the new SVU, Matt and I get to play TV executives as we discuss the current batch of pilots from Amazon Prime. I love Dick, The Tick, and Jean-Claude Van Johnson. It's kind of a bit too bad the third one didn't rhyme. Yeah. They missed an opportunity Jean-Claude there. Jean-Claude Van Jick. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I love it. Seamless. Who wouldn't want to watch that? Yeah. Now we're talking about three totally different television shows here, so discerning a theme was not easy this time. Superhero parodies, a lot of them are pretty bad. Jean-Claude Van Damme, that would be good, but at the expense of the other two shows. Movies about Dick? No, my parents listen to this podcast. (laughs) So instead, we went with something practical. These are shows, but they're really just pilots. There's no guarantee that they're going to make more episodes of any of these. So if you are a fan of these shows, we've got some recommendations for further viewing, stuff you can watch next after you've watched these pilots on Amazon Prime. But first, let's do opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few films that are new on demand. Allison, it is your turn to give us some recommendations. What's up first? Well, first up is the new film from Werner Herzog, someone we always like, uh, and someone who has two new movies out on the festival circuit this fall. He's got a new doc and a new scripted film already about volcanoes, because... What's more Herzog-ish than films about volcanoes? If one is not working, one may as well be submitting to the chaos of nature. Exactly. And uh, before then, though, you can catch up with his previous film, which is about the Internet and all things online. Sometimes maybe a little too uh, all over the place. This is definitely one of his less... Focus films. It is, lo and behold, reveries of the connected world. And 
it is about the internet in a kind of very broad sense. But it is a Werner Herzog film. And so it is still pretty much a pleasure to get to watch just to hear Herzog go off about online dwarf characters and about uh in role-playing games and oh, about, okay. I was uh, confused for a second yes and about uh monks and about the people who invented the early days of the internet etc etc basically i could listen to herzog talk about just about anything mm. so lo and behold reveries of the connected world some prime herzog and it is available now on demand also available on demand is Skip Trace. This is a new film starring Jackie Chan, once giant superstar Jackie Chan, now still famous, uh, getting an honorary Oscar, but maybe not quite the box office draw he used to be, given that this movie is going straight to VOD. Uh, and Johnny Knoxville in a movie directed by Rennie Harlan. Mm. How time passes and leaves us all behind. Uh, it's just basically a buddy action film. Uh, there's a drug lord. Apparently, Jackie Chan sings Adele, so I've heard. Wow. There is some comedy action. Who's to say? I'm sold. I'm I know, really. Sold. I mean, you the, can just the, stop the talking. Kind of, the the combination of Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville in a movie that was it's basically a, unheralded and unpublicized. It's a perfect combination. Yes, is now available on VOD. And finally, available on September 9th is Other People. This was the opening night film at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Uh, a very Sundancey film that is the directorial debut of who is now the Saturday Night Live co-head writer, Chris Kelly. It is a kind of loosely autobiographical film starring Jesse Plemons and Molly Shannon as a son who and mother who are reunited when the son goes back to Sacramento, to where he grew up, to care for his mother who has been diagnosed with cancer and to also lick his wounds. It, uh, I think, is a very Sundancey film, but it has two very strong performances from two actors who I think are always, you know, kind of under underappreciated. Molly Shannon in this really challenging role as a woman who is struggling with cancer. And Jesse Plemons, who is really coming into his own in the past year or two as someone who is trying to balance this really difficult moment of adulthood with all of his other disappointments in his life that have failed to come together. So that is Other People, and that will be available on demand on September. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Number 9th. Stop your evil ways! Ah! Sneaky. 
It was a pretty close race for our listeners' choice review on this episode of Film Spotting SVU. If you're new to the show, each main review on our podcast is chosen from three options. Uh, we give to you listeners in a poll that you can vote on at our website, filmspottingsvu.com. And on Film Spotting SVU number 119, we gave you three options, all available on Amazon Prime. Now, the clear loser, sorry, was Elvis and Nixon, the recent movie starring Kevin Spacey and Michael Shannon. But it was really neck and neck between the other two options right down to the wire when the poll ended. The trio of new Amazon pilots edged out Todd Solanz's Wiener Dog, about 41 to 39 percent. Very close. And Amazon has been doing this with these I would say it's a fairly innovative take on pilots and pilot seasons for several years now. On traditional TV, what happens is the network commissions a pilot for a show, the network executives watch them, and they decide which to order for full seasons. Amazon actually shares these pilots with their audience, and it lets them watch and also give feedback. Now, it's not a contest. It's not like the most watched show automatically gets chosen or the least watched show is automatically out. But clearly, Amazon is looking to their customers for feedback, for viewership numbers, reviews, how much hype the pilots get. All that sort of stuff. Now, this is actually one of the smallest pilot seasons Amazon has done. Usually it's like six or more shows all available simultaneously. This time we've only got three to talk about. The Tick, which is a new adaptation of the 90s superhero spoofing comic book, uh, which was previously made into two different TV shows, an animated show and a live-action show. We have Jean-Claude Van Johnson starring Jean-Claude Van Damme as a fictional version of washed-up action star Jean-Claude Van Damme, who uses his job as an actor to uh, cover his work as a master spy. Or maybe he's not so master, but he's a spy anyway. And finally, we have I Love Dick, which is a dark comedy series, kind of a dramedy, from Jill Soloway, the creator of Amazon's very popular Transparent. Now, we will talk about all of these shows Allison, but I wanted to start with this question slash thought experiment. For the moment, you, Allison Wilmore, yes, are the head of Amazon's TV division. I feel so empowered. Yes, you look more powerful. You're I'm glowing. Going all of mad a sudden. with power. Yes, actually. you just asked me to get you a coffee, which I just, is ridiculous. I flipped it's... a table for no reason. Yes, it... it was my table, and I'm actually very upset about You're it. You're settling into the role so well, but you have these shows now, these three shows, and all the metrics say that they would be equally popular, and you have enough money to make all of these shows into series. But you also have enough programming in the in the tank that you could cancel all three if you so choose. It is all in your hands. Which of these shows, if any or none, would you greenlight to see the full series? Well, as an executive, I'm going to, you know, enjoy my prerogative as someone who is able to Say yes via personal taste and pretend mm-hmm. it is a really good business decision. That's what this is. I, that's what I'm asking. Yes. I am going to green light Jill Soloway's I Love Dick, which okay. I think of the three is the most coherent episode. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'll give it, you know, tentative order to Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Okay. And I'm pretty undecided on the tick. You're undecided on the tick. Yes. I feel like... A full cancel or... I feel like maybe I would do, oh, we'll order some scripts and see where they go. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to kill it entirely. I okay. feel like, 
on the whole, these are three fairly promising pilots, Mm -hmm. certainly compared to a lot of the network pilots that come out and that are an annual bloodbath in Mm -hmm. which most of them get killed off. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah, as I said, I think I Love Dick is the most coherent. Maybe unsurprisingly, it's coming from Jill Soloway, who has a relationship with Amazon. It is very much in her wheelhouse Mm -hmm. in terms of a type of series. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson is jumping off a film that we will talk about later and I think has uh, maybe too many ideas to to melt together, but has ideas. Mm -hmm. The Tick is the one that I think is trying to do something new a bit with an idea that, as you've mentioned, has been tried multiple times before, but is also coming into an era in which we are seeing a lot of superhero ideas. Are we? I've heard. Okay. I haven't seen a yeah, lot of proof of this. Okay, yeah. But people I'm claim sure it, but I'm not out sure. Out there somewhere. Yeah. Supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly. On television and on film. Yeah. There's a lot of superhero stuff. Yeah. But what about you, Matthew Singer, well, as a co-executive? Well, we would have some some fights potentially here because mm. we don't necessarily agree on all these. I Well, we do agree on one thing for sure. I Love Dick is getting a full season order. Excellent. That was my favorite show. Yes. By a wide margin. Yes, I agree. I would I would not pick up Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Interesting. I'd give it the big old X. Mm. And for The Tick, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I would order a second pilot with some specific notes, yes. which we can talk about. Okay. So from here, where do we want to – do we want to just go – do we want to start with I Love Dick since let's, we like that and get that I out of the Dick. way? Yeah. You know, uh, Jill Soloway – did Transparent, which has been really, despite maybe not being as widely watched, I don't know what Amazon's numbers are. Right. It is certainly the most talked about series Amazon yes. has done. In, and in the its, most critically it, acclaimed. Right. And it's relatively new you know, journey into original programming. Yes. I haven't watched it yet. I'll say that right off the bat. I haven't watched season two for reasons I'm not really sure. I've heard amazing things about it. I loved season one. I think it's mostly just that I haven't had time to clear to really devote to... I think the kind of like emotional journey that the first season really took me on. Like it's challenging. Jill Soloway is someone who, and I think you see that in this pilot, is not afraid of characters who do dislikable things Mm. or who are a bit oblivious, who are messy and perfect and privileged and kind Mm. of stop all over people. And I mean, this is this one, even more than transparent is set in a, very kind of rarefied world of of kind of well-funded artists and academics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this certainly made me want to see it. I already wanted to watch transfer. It's just like, like you said, it's like they're they're time commitments, these shows. And I just haven't had a chance yet. It's also, it's a show that I think there are a lot of other shows that, you know, will just tell you an engaging story and transparent like season one is, I was like pretty wrenching, yeah. you know, and I think kind of clearing out what is time for essentially a five plus hour movie that may leave you fairly upset. <laughs> <laughs> I could see this show potentially leaving me a little upset though too, but I liked it. I, I mean, I should say Catherine Hahn just is Incredible. so good, she's and so good, and she's she's so good, and usually she is the fourth or fifth lead in a movie she so rarely gets the spotlight i know she had that movie that she was a big part of this summer bad moms right yes which i i, I missed i haven't seen yet she i've heard it's so great funny in it right she's so delightful yeah. as the third build person right she yes. still isn't the lead there but she is so good that she just might as well just fold up the movie and put it over her shoulder and walk <laughs> away into the sunset and the funny thing is about that i mean there are a lot of actors who that's where they're 
best is that they're supporting actors, they're character actors that, you know, they, they really are, they're great in that utility player role. They come in, kill a few scenes and they go away. And so I, I don't know that I've ever seen Catherine Hahn in, in sort of a leading role like this. And so who knows how she's going to do. And she, I thought she killed it. And it's not that funny of a role too. There's some funny parts, but it's really more of a dramatic performance. I thought she was amazing. I was like, I was like, all three of the lead performances here were great, but I was just like so kind of transfixed by her and like, oh, as much as I liked her before, she's even better than I thought. And it's like if this show doesn't go, someone needs to give her her own show or her own movie or something. It's like she is so good. She's so such an interesting actor to watch and can do so many different things, clearly, not just the comedy, which I think she's so brilliant at already. I'm ready to see more of Catherine Hahn. Yeah, uh, we didn't mention this is based on the 1997 book by Chris Krauss that was kind of a, I don't know, like a, almost like an academic e cult. I guess. I, I was not familiar with yes. the book until uh, I read I about it after watching it. the show. Um, but Catherine Hahn plays this Seems filmmaker. Seems like loosely based on the yes, author. Yes, who uh, goes to Marfa, Texas with her husband who has just gotten this fellowship. And right. while there, meets Dick. Who Kevin is Bacon. a semiotics scholar, as, some as far kind of, as I can yeah, tell. Yeah, some kind of but professor also kind or of something. Like a, an he's like an academia bad boy. Yeah, he's like an earthy, hunky yeah. academia bad boy. And I mean, that's as far as we get, basically. Right. But I will say, I think when sometimes people ask me what female gaze looks like mm. and the latter part of this episode mm-hmm. in which Catherine Hahn's character thinks back on the dinner that she and her husband have just had with right. Dick is like the most female gaze like chunk of uh, of narrative that I've seen in a long time it was pretty it's awesome fantastic yes. I loved it and I you know it's Kevin Bacon is a guy who we don't talk about him as a great actor I think he's a you know wonderful movie star he's done Almost so many like great he's things your prime utility player he, really he, he is. has a game basically based on yeah. how, how much he turns up in things. But I've seen, I feel like lately he's been doing more, yeah, like character stuff. He hasn't gotten to be like the hunky leading man in a long time. He's super hot in this. He's really, he's handsome. really handsome. He is just exuding sex yeah. in a way that I was like, kind of like knocked me back in my it chair, frankly. I was like, yeah. oh wait, Kevin, ba- like I just saw him in Cop Car and he's phenomenal in Cop Car, but that's a dark role and calls so kind of a dark comedy role. And he certainly isn't handsome or exuding sex appeal. And here, like, the first couple of scenes where you see him and you're sort of seeing him through Catherine Hahn's character's eyes, you're like, holy cow, he is a handsome mofo. It's like he really, like, kills it. And you're just like, wow. Uh, And he also just basically challenges her in every possible identity yes. issue in like such a short amount of right. time. Right. And and right. And she's having these issues with her film. She used a, a song that it, she shouldn't have. The film got into the Venice Film she's Festival a and then lost. Yeah. Right. She's, and she's, he completely destroys yes. her. And she's like uh, she's like just like <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> Smitten, basically, yes. in this way. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's really it's, great. It's a really, it's like a half-hour pilot, and right. it's so promising. It's, it's really promising. Like, Not a ton happens, no. but it sets the table in this way that you're like, I want to see what happens next. I don't know what would happen next, and I would love to find out. And I, I mean, that's a lot to say for something that is set in the world of academia. That's true. This is like, on paper, this sounds like the a least disaster. promising for me. Yes. I don't know about disaster, but just not to my taste. It doesn't sound like something that's written for me or for, you know, but like it's so well made and sharp and it looked good too. We haven't really said that. A good looking pilot, 
you know, it had and, and a lot use of uh, freeze frames and and montage. And like I said, the scenes in which Catherine Hahn's character, uh, Chris, remembers this dinner mm, are very... so kind of subjectively sultry and yes. like tactile. Yes, they're they're pretty fantastic. Yeah. All right. So big thumbs up for I Love Dick. We hope we get to see more of that one. Mm. Now, do you want to go? Uh, we Let's see, talk about the tick. Let's talk about the tick because we kind of felt the same way about yes. it. Let me let me let me start here by saying this. You know, I'm pretty familiar with the tick. I'd read some of the comics. I watched a lot of the cartoon. I loved the cartoon as a kid. I didn't watch a, a, a lot of the the uh, the live action series. I think it was on when I was in college, so it was a little harder to keep up with it. This was my issue with the tick. This tick, the new tick. Again, a good looking show, very well cast. I wouldn't recast any of the any of the leads, but it felt to me like the tick. The whole premise of the tick is that it's it's you know it's satire, it's spoofing, it's making fun of the the pomposity of superheroes, like the idea of a guy named the tick, right? Lacking a certain dignity that exactly. we associate, and he's goofy with. and silly, and his side bright blue costume, right? And his sidekick dresses like a moth, and in the cartoon he was a little paunchy. You know, it, it, it's it's deflating that whole sort of mystique. And to me, this new and and let's say this: we were talking about the superhero boom right now. There is more to make fun of about superheroes than ever before. Like the time is ripe for a Tick reboot. I am ready for Tick 2.0. And I just felt like this version kind of missed the mark in terms of the satire. Like, instead of making fun of this rich world of superheroes, it seems like it's trying to just be. It's trying to – instead of making fun, it's embodying. I felt like it was, like, weirdly dark. You know, uh, Arthur is now – like, we have to ha- like we have to explain Arthur. Like, everything has, like – Who is of- the tick sidekick? The tick sidekick is named Arthur. And in this version, it's He's like – played by Griffin Newman. Right. Who's good. He's perfect for the role. And I thought that the the tick was great. Like he's uh, played by Peter Serafinowicz, right? Very he's funny, very British funny. actor yeah, who's been around for a long time. He's great, and he completely gets the tick, like that persona, the big blustery, do- doofy guy. Great, but I, what I didn't really connect with was this idea of like, well, we have to make it dark and gritty, and we have to explain. Like Arthur has this tortured backstory, maybe mental problems. There's this whole thing where well, that is, was the thing I was going to ask you about. Is that the the pilot sets up? There's this Not potential inexpli- like, like fairly explicitly right. that the tick is is Arthur, right? That it is potentially he's like in- another personality, right? It's, or- he's his Tyler Durden essentially. Yes, yes. I, that to me did not work at all. Yeah, not I, even a little. I felt like there was something of an idea there that like it would have to develop a lot more to make, which is I think why I'm like I would see scripts. You're of curious this. to see where it yeah, goes, yeah. But I feel like. No, there's like a kind of the Hulk thing to this, except like in a pompous way, right? Like yeah. when you're like I, you see the tick at work with bullets bouncing off of him, and people like you right. know unable. He's like super he's strong. Super strong. There's no denying the fact that the tick is a super strong, you know, bulletproof right. superhero. Right. Uh, then what do you do with that? Right. Yes. I don't. I don't know. I, I couldn't quite. I couldn't quite put that together in my own mind. So I, I'm not sure I have an answer for you. Yeah. I was pretty frustrated by that one because, like I said, this one to me seemed like the the home run. Like, yes, the tick. This is the perfect time for the tick, and I like the cast. I don't know. 
it's it just seemed do, do you agree that it just seems like it's trying a little too hard to like be a modern superhero thing as opposed sure. to making fun i feel like am i being I, too like should there be a is there a place for a more serious tick am i just being set in my ways a little bit maybe i was never that attached to the tick in yeah. any of its original forms so yeah. i feel like i have less of a sense of you're willing to see a darker yeah, tick. i'm willing to see a darker tick just because i don't really care <laughs> like yeah. I, but i i don't i feel like i'm more just I'm intrigued by the idea this presents, but I don't know that I necessarily think it can pull it off. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't see how you how you pull it off. How like it seemed like they were tr- they were having trouble making it work in just the pilot. We should say also this is written by Ben Edlund, right? Who the guy who the, created the created tick in the, the first comic, place, and it's directed by Wally Pfister, who is you know Christopher a Nolan's longtime cinematographer. Yeah, though I don't know that it looks all that interesting. It looks fine. Yeah, I don't like. It's not just there's nothing that jumps it certainly out doesn't look like a Christopher like, Nolan film or no. anything like that. But that like there is a you know at least the seed of something interesting to be like the person who for better or worse created the landmark of uh modern superhero right films his cinematographer is the one working on this well his I big just, movie was want, transcendence which i know wasn't that i just good. want more from this than the pilot gave us yeah it didn't to me it didn't it didn't come together like i like i said i would be up for another pilot maybe maybe there is a way to salvage that sort of fight clubby premise i just didn't i didn't buy it at all in this it just didn't it didn't i just didn't understand how it worked like it just doesn't make sense to me and, and my so, question for you, yeah. is there, like, how do you make fun of superheroes now? But there's so much know, to make fun of. I know, there is so much to make fun of. At the same time, I'm kind of, like, I, exhausted like, by I'm the exhausted. whole thing. Like, yeah. the idea of a satire at this point, when I feel like we're in the age of Deadpool, a movie yeah, that smirks I guess at its own tropes all the time. I guess that's true. You know? We already like, have Deadpool and... And I, I, I just, I feel like if you're going to make a superhero satire, it's got to be really mean. Yeah. And this and the tick is not right. That, that's true. The tick is very sweet. So you're right. Maybe that's maybe that is a, a problem with going the more traditional tick route. That's mm. a fair point. I, I, I agree with that. I, like I said, I really like the, the two main guys. I thought the tick and Arthur perfectly cast. I just I felt like the show around them wasn't well cast, like in terms of just like the look of it and the feel of it. It just felt I don't know. It was just trying to take like you said, the tick is so innocent and sweet. So then trying like Arthur has mental problems and the world is so right. dark. He's and off Ar- his meds. His, yeah. Like, and this horrible f- backstory about how his like his he witnessed he this, witnessed like, this yeah. horrible thing happening in his past. Like all of that, like just, just to me again with the the tick as this. Oh, ha, 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 that guy. And I guess you could say, well, that this is like sort of the. I don't compensating. know. Right, overcompensating like the manifestation to... of what he wishes there yeah, to be. But see, just... I, do you know what? I feel like that would be that would be a more promising idea if the bad guys were not as cartoonish as they were. Mm. A, a world in which you have very serious bad guys yeah, and maybe... they are defeated by like this pompous, ridiculous character. Yeah, you're right. Would be something. Yeah, that's... I don't. But that's not what we're getting. That wasn't anyway. what we got. All right. Well, quickly here, let's move on to this last one where yes, we seem to disagree the most. A little bit of a split. Jean Claude Van Johnson. Yeah. Uh, starring Jean Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. as himself, ish, as a, both a washed up action star and apparently a washed up super spy. Right. Who gets back into the game after meeting an ex of his who used to be in the Super Spy game. He calls up his agent, who is conveniently his agent for both things. Right. Who gets him on a movie as well as back in the Super Spy game. Yeah. And this was directed by Peter Tensio, who did Keanu and Kim Peele. Yeah. And uh, this clearly did not work for you. 
it did not work for me. And it, it should have worked for me. You know, I love JCVD. And I, I like Jean-Claude Van Damme, and I'm going to talk about him later, too. I have a recommended movie of his as well. And I like this sort of late period Jean-Claude Van Damme. I think he's an interesting presence. And he's interesting in the, mo- in, in the, in the pilot. I felt like this, the, even more than The Tick, that this show just didn't know what it was. Like, it felt totally – it just it had no idea what it was doing. It was sort of an interesting premise uh, that had a couple of problems. One, to me – was the issue that it, it is so much like JCVD, which is but a, a, an inferior version of it or a derivative version of it. And also, like, JCVD's premise was sort of so simple and pure and you got it. And here, this is like trying to take that simple, pure, beautiful premise and then, like, add an, yet another layer on it, another joke. It's like a joke on a joke. He's not just playing himself as a washed-up actor. He's playing himself as a washed-up actor who's also a super spy who's washed up as a super spy. And that – I just I just didn't think that didn't that, – that worked. The woman who plays his love interest who's, like, 20 years younger than him, they have zero chemistry together. They don't fit together. They don't make any sense together. I didn't like that relationship at all. That casting, I just thought, was a mess. And as much as I think Jean-Claude Van Damme is interesting as this guy he is now, this sort of 50-something direct-to-video guy, I think what makes him a good presence now, and I'll talk about this more later, is like I think he's at his his best sort of leaning into that kind of sad, past-his-prime, washed-upness thing. And they play a little bit of that in the beginning of the show, and it feels very JCVD-ish. But then when they try to go for, like, broad comedy, I just don't think that's his strength, really. I don't think he's very good at it, and I don't think that the the show around him really – it really works. Like, they don't really surround him with comedians, really. So you have this sort of – what is this thing? Is it a sad portrait of this sad guy? Is it a mocking portrait of this guy? Is it a spoof of this guy's life? It just seemed like a complete mess to me that didn't know what it was, that had a pretty interesting guy at the center of it. And not a terrible idea, but just the execution to me was just a big... I think it's a really messy idea, but I thought a lot about Keanu, which Peter Atencio directed, which I think was also a a convergence of ideas that didn't really work, you know, which was like a spoof, basically, of like a buddy buddy like an outrageous like kind of buddy movie Mm -hmm. i don't know like almost like a spoof of an r-rated comedy in which things got turned around but not enough to really make it a commentary on that Mm -hmm. you know i i I felt like you never quite understood where in this movie where the joke was on a larger sense yeah in keanu and i felt like you see that a bit in this but what made me hold on is that I think there is a potentially really good series about Jean-Claude Van Damme being trapped in endless, terrible uh, VO, direct-to-VOD productions in which he is on the side saving the world and like, and the contrast between him being yeah. treated like on like low-budget sets versus right. that that I think actually is like as an episodic show, as like an episodic show. You know what I mean? Not not a serialized, not a giant thing. serialized yeah. thing is actually I think really entertaining to me, and I think there's a flicker. There's enough of that there that I would be willing to play this out. See, I would say the only scene that kind of worked on a comedic level was the one where they sort of are making fun of 
his direct to video movies and it's like a, it's like Tom Sawyer which is and it looks which nothing is, it's like really, Tom, it's like the yes. gritty Tom Sawyer it almost is like making fun reveal, of the tick in yes, a way and the reveal of that which takes a little while for yeah. you to understand what movie to he's get the in joke. yes yeah. especially it's nice it's good especially when like his you understand his like uh colleague is n-word jim which i think is like such a kind of great terrible commentary on the use of old ip mm-hmm. with like modern sensibility yeah that works <laughs> that scene works but yeah. again it's like that's such a that's like three minutes of this pilot sure. and then and then I, yeah and so much more of the pilot is spent on the spy stuff which is a dud agreed but i think that i think and we'll talk about jcbd in a bit but i think that the, the what is like the great heart of this idea of like Jean-Claude Van Damme as himself is the idea of Jean-Claude Van Damme as someone who is actually heroic, but like gets less and less appreciated. Yeah. For I it. mean, I guess that's, you know, it's kind of clever. I agree. I know that, right. That the idea that he takes these terrible movies, that because he is like they're more a cover. and more of a joke. Like yes. he is someone who is increasingly pathetic in the public eye and yet an actual hero yeah. in the private eye. I think if the show can pull off something on that, then I think, which I'm, I I think it can. I, I do feel like this is a mess of a pilot. Yeah, it's. I thought it was the, the definitely the weakest of the three, and I see what you're saying. I mean, I I do like that 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 notion that oh he's there's a reason he's his career is in the toilet. It's because he has to do these terrible movies to save the world. But I, like, I want to see him doing a press junket in which he just has to feel terrible, stupid questions. Yeah, you're right. That would, you know, be, that would, and then like on the side, try and like so- stop an assassination. Yeah, but I guess my feeling would be that again, the scenes about the junket would be so much more entertaining and interesting than the scenes about whatever dumb spy thing he has to do. And at least in this pilot, the 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 balance is the balance is, is way agreed, way agreed. off. Wait, and I still like. And the problem is that I, as such a nerd, I'm sitting there going, "How does this make sense?" Like with his previous career, like when he was successful, <laughs> how does that work with the spy thing? I would it assume makes sense that he now. had been recruited par- partially. Uh, yeah, perhaps, perhaps, you know? maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that's how it makes sense. Yeah. Well. A, a, a bit of a split vote here. You agree it was it was a flawed pilot, but you would like to see more. Of I that would one. like to see more. This one, if they did pick this one up, I am I am not sure I would be back. I would need Allison to test it and say, you know what, they got it, they figured it out, they tweaked it, or if they slowly downplay, or if he's fired as a spy and he just gets has to make terrible and it's just movies. An extremely depressing. Um... I like Jean Claude Van Damme as a depressing guy. He has that sour face. He looks sad. He just. That hangdog face is – I think you should lean into that a little bit more personally. So those are the Amazon pilots. We, we love I Love Dick. We want more I Love Dick. We're, we're unsure about the tick. I, I'm, I would want another pilot. You would want, want to see more scripts. More scripts. And, uh, and a split vote, very split vote on John Clyde Van Johnson.
roll into some further viewing, some recommended follow-ups here. If you do like some of these pilots and you're waiting for more, here's some stuff you can watch. And we already talked about it, so we might as well dive right in. Let's do let's do the JCVD picks with JCVD. Yeah, you have that first. I do. JCVD is on Hulu. If you haven't watched it yet or haven't heard of it, this is a, a film, a 2008 film, directed by Mabruk El-Mekri. Uh, it, was, it came from apparently a contract in which Jean-Claude Van Damme had agreed to play himself in a movie. And Mabruk El-Mekri had like had an idea for how to actually do this and met with him. And what came from it is this movie in which Jean-Claude Van Damme plays this semi-fictionalized, kind of more tragic version of himself. A man who has just lost his daughter in a custody battle, who is running out of money, and who is very aware of the fact that his kind of short-term commitments to these no-name direct-to-video movies that the real Jean-Claude Van Damme has been spending years making. These movies in Bulgaria, filmed in Bulgaria or filmed in, you know, uh, elsewhere that basically don't get a theatrical release, uh, that they are ruining his career because Mm -hmm. they are making him look small-time. And yet, at the same time, he desperately needs the money, so he can't say no. So this Jean-Claude Van Damme happens to be back in Brussels, you know, uh, where he's from, and gets caught up in a robbery and hostage situation in a post office. And it becomes this kind of uh, dog day afternoon scenario in which a huge crowd gathers outside and which, for reasons you are to explain, he becomes he gets blamed for being the person who has taken this post office, post office hostage uh, and who has, he was trying to rob it to fix his sad celebrity problems. It's an imperfect film, certainly. I think that the, kind of ironically, since we're talking about how the spy stuff is the weaker part of Jean-Claude Van Johnson, I think the hostage stuff is certainly the weaker stuff in JCVD compared to the flashbacks about his increasingly miserable life as a celebrity, in- including just like day-to-day celebrity stuff about how exhausting it is to be expected to kind of constantly give of yourself to people when you are miserable inside. And uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme really like shows off acting that I don't think he has ever done before. So no one's really asked him to do work like this. The showcase of this movie uh, and throughout, there are long takes, including the opening shot, which is the movie within the movie that Jean-Claude Van Damme is making, which is almost like making fun of a long take. It is a long action shot. Mm. But there is a long take, basically a six-minute monologue that breaks out of the movie. Uh, pull, the camera pulls up as if he is lifting above into the rafters, into the lighting department. And he delivers a monologue that seems within the context of the movie, to be Van Damme almost talking about his real issues, including his drug problems, including his hopes and dreams as a skinny kid in Brussels, trying to, you know, make it big as a martial artist. And it is, in a weird way, one of the best things Van Damme has ever done. Though, obviously, it is only in the context of his long career as a muscly guy Mm -hmm. in martial arts movies. This like deeply kind of emotional, open, devastated, slightly pathetic monologue. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it makes the movie, even when the movie has to kind of 
stumble a bit towards an ending. But there's a lot of good stuff here. And I think especially also including that the idea that Van Damme has started to lose out in roles uh, to Steven Seagal because Steven Seagal has agreed to cut his ponytail off. <laughs> this detail that is repeated like twice throughout the movie as if Van Damme is like thinking very deeply about what he could do to make himself equally marketable again. Uh, it is it is something else. You know, it's it's a movie that got a lot of attention when it was on the kind of genre festival circuit. And I don't know that Mabruk El Mekri has done anything else since then. Yeah, I was just looking. You not, know, not, not a uh, I, I think that instead it's this idea that has lingered on enough that someone has basically recycled it mm. to make uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. Like yeah. there are a lot of the ideas in it are very similar. <laughs> Yeah, in, including basically the climactic framing action sequence and this divide between what someone does in their head and then what is actually done. Right. Uh, though I, I do appreciate that Jean-Claude Van Johnson references uh, JCVD's incredible ability to do the splits even in, <laughs> into his advancing age. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, JCVD is... if if. Time has made it a bit more of a novelty film than something that has had any kind of lingering impact for its star's career or for its director. It is still really something. It it kind of demands that you think about what it means to have been this iconic bit of pop culture fodder, but to also be a real person who ages and on whom time works mm. like anyone else and, and how tragic that can be when your image lingers on and your life continues and maybe unfortunately takes you places you don't want to go. So that is JCVD. It is streaming on Hulu. Yeah, I guess Mabrookel McRae recently, recent now not that recent, but in 2012 he directed The Cold Light of Day, that Bruce Willis, Henry Cavill action movie, I never saw it. I, I I guess it got a theatrical release, but a very small one. So yeah, he hasn't hasn't really followed up on it with something as equally interesting, at least. Hopefully, hopefully that'll happen at some point. But yeah, I also wanted to talk about this late period Jean Claude Van Damme, who you know he do, he does give a great performance in that movie, but he's playing himself. So I don't know if we want to say that he's matured into an interesting actor, but I would say for but sure he's, not, he's playing a variation on sure. himself. Let's not like totally no. right. I would say though that he's certainly become a very interesting screen presence. You know, like he hasn't headlined a big theatrical movie in well over a decade. He sometimes like he was in like one of the Expendable sequels as the bad guy, but and he's made a lot of movies. Oh, he, he that's what I'm going to say. He cranks lot. out these direct-to-video movies one or two a year at least, and a lot of them are. Me- Mediocre. Some of them are really bad. I've seen a few of them. But what's interesting is that actually Van Damme, a lot of them is is pretty good. And a lot of times he's the only interesting thing on screen in these movies. He doesn't seem to slack off. Like, he gives his all right. to these roles, even if no one's watching. Right. And the one that I was going to talk about is the most recent one, at least as of this recording. We'll see how long that lasts. It is the remake of one of Van Damme's 80s classics, to use that term generously, Kickboxer, which is now Kickboxer colon Vengeance, which is available for rent and is directed by John Stockwell, the auteur behind films like Crazy Beautiful, Blue Crush, 
and Touristas. I love Blue Crush. I know. I, I could have guessed that. I don't. I could have guessed you're a big Blue Crush fan. Why am I not surprised? Anyway, in the original movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, played a kickboxer, spoiler alert for the movie Kickboxer, who trains to fight the man who paralyzed his brother in a match. In the remake, the Van Damme role is played by a guy named Alan Moussi. He's a very good stuntman. He's a good martial artist. He is not a very good actor. While JCVD takes on the role of the eccentric older trainer. Um, so the bad guy, Tong Po, is now played by Dave Bautista, who is uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy and Spectre, one of these sort of, I, would, I guess you could say, like the heavy du jour in Hollywood. And I just watched this movie this morning. It is not particularly great. It has some... It's not the creed of kickboxing. It is not the creed of the kickboxer franchise. No, sadly. Some of the fight scenes are very solid, although some of them are also very heavily edited. What I, one of the things that I like about this sort of direct-to-video or, you know, w- tiny uh, token theatrical release, but basically direct-to-video action movies are, they tend to have very good fight scenes because that's what their emphasis is on. And they tend to employ a lot of very good martial artists and practical stuntmen. And they don't have money for special effects or for a lot of cutting and editing time. So they do it in camera. They do it with good stuntmen. And so, you know, usually they're really great in that regard. This one, I'd, I'd say, is okay. There are some scenes that you can appreciate the choreography, others that you can't so much. Some of the supporting cast is not very good. And even the main guy, he makes Jean-Claude Van Damme look like, I don't know, Laurence Olivier, somebody who could really act. But the best part is Van Damme and sort of in this context as this older guy, this sort of mercurial, charismatic, mysterious character. Every time he's on screen, the movie perks up. Everything gets interesting. And I will say, as much as I'm recommending him in this movie, that very strange detail for some reason, and I tried to look online, I couldn't find a reason. The movie is just coming out. I don't know that anyone's done any press for it at all, really. Like 10 of his lines, maybe more, maybe a little less, are are dubbed by somebody else doing a terrible Jean-Claude Van Damme impression. Like, I don't know the reason. I don't know why he didn't do his own ADR, but clearly he didn't show up for the ADR session. For I don't want to speculate why because I don't know why. But this is like what you would do if Jean-Claude Van Damme had died during production, and the only way to finish it was, <laughs> was to hire someone to do a bad impression of Jean-Claude Van Damme like that. That's li- it's like literally like that in big scenes, the big climactic showdown, like between rounds, he's giving advice to the kickboxer guy and he's like, you must focus. You cannot give up right now. You are the kickbox. It's like, how is he not? What happened? How did this happen? I, I baffling. But when he actually gets to talk for himself, he has a very kind of weird, eccentric, charming Performance And it did remind me in a way of Jean-Claude Van Johnson where I'm going, I really like watching this period Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's, I think he's better than his material. But again, the material is just not that great. And so I would say I don't know if I'm really recommending this movie. It's probably best watched like the original Kickboxer on cable or maybe streaming somewhere. I don't know that I would recommend you pay for it. But I, I like this Jean-Claude Van Damme. I wanted to recommend – I feel like we've talked about the the best late period Van Damme movies are the Universal Soldier sequels, Regeneration, and my favorite, Day of Reckoning, which I have talked about on the podcast before. So 
those are worth seeking out. And I think that this this uh, this Van Dam, he needs his. He got JCVD, but he needs his. Uh, uh, he needs a better showcase. He needs another good showcase. So that is Kickboxer Vengeance available right now for rent. All right, for my second pick, I went with the movie. I went with the obvious picks. Uh, I went with the movie that was Jill Soloway's first project with Katherine Hahn. It is Afternoon Delight, which is available for rent everywhere. This was Jill Soloway's 2013 directorial debut. Um, she would go on to create Transparent and the I Love Dick pilot, which seems pretty guaranteed from like at least from this perspective to go to series uh at least for amazon to preserve this relationship and afternoon delight stars katherine hahn as rachel who is a wife and mother living in silver lake in los angeles and dealing with directionlessness and a mild depression and a drought in her marriage she and her husband who is an app developer uh played by josh radner haven't had sex in months and uh, in this kind of desire to give some some substance to her life and to kind of like maybe out of her fear of ending up being another kind of wealthy Silver Lake mother, she befriends a stripper named McKenna, played by Juno Temple, who she meets at a night out with some friends at a strip club. It's kind of like a naughty adults, uh, you know, saucy night out. She befriends a stripper, moves her into their spare room where their nanny used to live and starts allowing her to help take care of their child. I do feel that Jill Soloway is better at television than movies. I think mostly because the limited space of this movie turns it into maybe a bit more of a traditional middle-aged dissatisfaction or like early middle-aged dissatisfaction movie than something like transparent which doesn't let you off the hook with a and i realized i was wrong uh transparent tends to kind of lean into its characters inability to necessarily fix themselves or to make good decisions and in the case of this movie because it is a movie it kind of it, it ends up maybe being a little cleaner, if not entirely neat, than I think does it benefit. But it is anchored by a really incredible performance from Katherine Hahn. And, you know, as we've said before, Katherine Hahn is someone who is often the funniest person in the third or fourth ranked role. Yeah. She is so often like the best part of, but the best and kind of like underused part of a movie or a television show. And in this, she is allowed to carry the movie and bring so much kind of frustration and and desire and and sometimes dis dislikability to this character she is not afraid to have this person act on emotions that she has not thought out fully and that includes this essentially blowing up her life in slow motion by by bringing this young woman in who does not fit in any way with her group of friends. And, you know, Juno Temple has given, is given a little less to work with because the character is a little less, like, by design, less well-developed. But I think that what this movie allows you to enjoy is just the someone who is, who is feeling guilty about her own comfort and her the kind of almost, like, 
hypnotic comfort of her own life who then decides to poke at it in ways that make her deeply unhappy. It's a really fantastic performance uh, from Han. And you can see in it, you can see one of those meetings of, of writer, director and star that just promise great things. And, you know, I think uh, Han has, has had a smaller role in transparent that is really good. And I think what you see in I love Dick just makes you really excited to see more. I think that Jill Soloway and Catherine Han are kind of a match made in heaven. And I want more of that. And uh, if you're, if you are also into, into her pilot, it's definitely worth a look afternoon delight. It is available for rent. Uh, I got I got to watch that movie. I missed that one and just hearing you talk about it, I mean that combination. I was also, just saying I want more Catherine Hahn in my life. Yeah. It's really the uh I will say also uh Jill Soloway is one of the great uh filmmakers about dealing with like wealthy suburban Los Angeles mm-hmm. and also like Jewishness. Mm-hmm. It is a part of her character's lives without ever being a main theme of the story in ways that I think are kind of fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to have to check that one out. So I'm glad you recommended it. My next pick is inspired by the pilot for The Tick. So we've covered all the shows, which is good. And I guess I could have recommended the other two versions of The Tick. Lord knows I, like I said before, I watched enough of the cartoon Tick to recommend that. Uh, But I decided to go a little less obvious. And I'm going instead with an older show that mines similar territory about a bumbling superhero. And that is The Greatest American Hero, which is currently available on Hulu. This is one of the shows uh, from Uber TV producer of my youth, Stephen J. Cannell, who also created The Rockford Files, 21 Jump Street, and my personal favorite, The A-Team. I love The A-Team. The Greatest American Hero aired for three seasons in the early 1980s on ABC, and it's about a guy named Ralph Hinckley, played by William Catt, who discovers an alien supersuit, which gives him incredible powers. And it comes with an instruction manual, but unfortunately he loses the instruction manual almost as soon as he gets it, which means he's not sure what the heck he's doing with this super suit, and he's always screwing up. He can fly, but he's, you know, flailing his arms, and he can't land, and he's just generally always bumbling around and making mistakes. He works with an FBI agent played by Robert Culp and a lawyer played by Connie Selica, and that's basically the show. I liked it as a kid. Because it was a superhero and his costume was pretty cool, at least for the time. And again, this is the early and mid '80s, so it was a very different time. The 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 there was not an you know superheroes on television the way there are now. Like now, there's basically an entire network. You know, the CW is yeah. basically the superhero network, if it's not officially unofficially, and it's getting more all the time. That just didn't exist then, and so as a superhero loving kid, you know this this was a lot of fun. But I didn't really remember it all that well. Hadn't watched it since back then. All I remembered was the theme song, the classic theme song, Believe It or Not, which is one of the all-time great TV theme songs, which I I played a little bit of coming into this segment. So I watched a couple of episodes to prep for this podcast, and it definitely feels a little hokey. It's very much of its time. But I have to say, and this kind of dovetails with with what we talked about in our review, I, I found that kind of refreshing. Like, it's hard to make fun of superheroes now, not just as Allison was saying, because there's so much of it and people are so exhausted by them now. But people take these things so seriously. Even The Tick now, which is originally a goof on superheroes, is taken surprisingly seriously in the new version that 
you know, okay, sure, there's Deadpool and stuff like that, but that's it's R-rated. It's gritty. He's vulgar. He's there's profanity. There's nudity. There's sex. There's all this. You know, like it's sort of nice to see a superhero who can't fly. Like Deadpool is making fun of superheroes, but he's really cool at killing people. Like he's got, you know, he's he's cool. He shoots people. He can do all kinds of stuff. He knows what he's doing. He's an expert at that that side of things. The I mean, I I'm calling him the greatest American hero, but that's not really his name. He doesn't really have a superhero name. Ralph Hinckley, he's a, he's a goof. It's sort of nice to see a superhero who's a group a goof who has trouble flying, who crashes into people's bedrooms and then has to apologize and figure his way out of there and Try not to break up this marriage because he's kind of landed in the middle of a couple going to bed. And what I also kind of liked about the show, looking at it now, is there wasn't a ton of, like, mythos. It wasn't a serialized show for the most part. You could watch any episode at random after you've read, like, the Wikipedia plot summary and you could enjoy it. And that was kind of nice, too. I mean, I enjoy serialized shows, but... I'm wondering if maybe we've it, tilted very heavily. We have. The I was just going right to say now. the pendulum has swung so hard to the serialized shows that it's kind of nice to have a show that you can watch at random, you know, without three seasons of backstory, without having to like bone up on who all the characters are to dip your toe in and then go back out and come back in later. It's like low impact. Yeah, that's kind of nice in a way. Like, and I wonder what point do we reach the tipping point for the serialized shows? And the pendulum starts to swing back. I don't think we're that far off, potentially. I think we could reach a point where all it takes is, like, one really great episodic show to kind of make people remember that those can be fun, too. Not that there's anything wrong with serialized shows, but an episodic show every now and then. It does a body good, so to speak. So I really had a nice time strolling down memory lane. Maybe it's a nostalgic pick for me. I won't deny that. But I really enjoyed revisiting... The Greatest American Hero, which is available, complete the complete series on Hulu. All right, we went a little bit long because we had three pilots to talk about. But very briefly, Allison wants to talk about one of the new releases in theaters this weekend. Or I guess by the time you're hearing this, it'll be out in theaters. The Light Between Oceans. And that's how you have to say it very softly. The Light between oceans i think you should say while crying it is something people spend a lot of time doing in this movie there's a lot of weeping as i understand there is a lot of weeping it's the new film from derek c france who did uh, blue valentine there's a lot of weeping in that movie there is that's a film i liked a lot i like that movie too place beyond the pines a movie that i did not like so much weeping in that one yeah manly manly sort of gut guttery like guttural kind of things yeah so this is his third feature and i i just it is certainly his biggest i was gonna say certainly a bigger film yes than those i mean films. it it seemed Big very cast. very clearly positioned to be oscar except for maybe it's too early yeah michael fassbender and alicia vikander they I don't know if they're still a real life couple, but they at least I just were learned that they real, were. Yeah, I know, yes. and they may have already broken up. Real you're telling couple, me, yeah, oh, tearing my Rachel world asunder Weiss, here, Allison. Yeah, uh, set in a lighthouse off the coast of Australia, though I don't know that you would be able to tell that from the movie. Uh, it's just off a coast somewhere. Very beautiful, lots of golden light, uh, wind, you know, whistling around a remote island, and a stolen baby. I don't know. I I feel like Derek C. in France has this 
deep abiding fondness for the kind of grand romantic gestures his male characters make mm. and often how they fail on a day-to-day level to just show up. You know, they're like right. good. I mean, that's the whole point of Blue Valentine is yes. this character who is he means great well, at these giant he, gestures right. and maybe terrible a as a day-to-day father. He's a yes. screw-up. Well-meaning screw-ups. I think that in this movie, the whole plot of which is basically given away in the trailer, I will not recite it for you, but okay. there's basically a couple, there's a baby they take as their own, and then it turns out the baby may have a mother. Aha. Uh-huh. Cue the crying. Yes. I think that actually his fondness for for grand romantic gestures deeply unbalances this movie, which is essentially a movie, a story about deep maternal grief and almost like the madness that can come from deep maternal grief. I think seeing that from the outside, which is what the movie does, it it kind of positions it almost reflexively from the, the point of view of Michael Fassbender's character just ends up making one of the female leads look like a, like this hysteric mm. in a way that's so frustrating. Mm. It is also just like almost poisonously tasteful. You know, it's so tasteful. Right. It's a melodrama that has been like squeezed of all mellow. Well, like you said, it wants to be, a, it's trying, trying to for be some sort of oscar prestige. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, you don't get that way with melodrama. You gotta, you, you gotta don't. be it's serious. Disappointing. It is. It was a really disappointing movie because I feel like it has it has so much right in just its ingredients, and yet it it doesn't quite pull together. So I'm sorry. The light between oceans. No, we have not seen no. It was the, the light. Excuse me. Between oceans. Now just imagine ocean. I'm done. Yes. Thank you. All right. Let's move on to Behind the Eight Ball, where we wrap things up on every episode of the podcast by giving you some new releases on streaming. We give you some listener recommendations that you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And we also give you one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists on Netflix. Allison, would you like me to go first since you just talked about The Light? Between oceans. Yes, I would like you to go first. All right. <laughs> Why don't you give me three new releases? <laughs> I'm going to say them all as I did the live view. Like, my first pick, new to Hulu, is one of the great films of the late 1990s, the talented Mr. Ripley. It doesn't work with that movie. That movie really doesn't, doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. It's a Patricia Highsmith adaptation by the late Anthony Minghella. Starring Matt Damon as Tom Ripley, the social climbing, I guess, con man, you would say, who warms his way into the middle of a relationship between Dickie, played by Jude Law, and Marge, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Definitely the movie that cemented Matt Damon as a movie star after Goodwill Hunting showed he wasn't just a, a flash in the pan, that he was going to have a career and uh, has a, lots of great performances, including from the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's a, it's a favorite of mine. I haven't seen it in a while, though. When I saw that it was on Hulu, I was like, I need to rewatch the talented Mr. Ripley, that is available on Hulu. Next up, I wanted to make a sincere recommendation for Scary Movie 3 
first two scary movies were by the Wayans. I'm not a huge fan of either of them. But the later sequels, and a lot of people don't realize this, were made by David Zucker and some of his colleagues. Uh, David Zucker, of course, one of the guys behind Airplane, the Naked Gun movies, of course. And the scary movie sequels that he worked on are probably the best things he made in the post Zaz era after those guys stopped working together and it's mostly thanks to a really funny cast including Leslie Nielsen is in it and Charlie Sheen is in it and is very funny and it has it does have two big carryovers from the Wayans movies Anna Ferris and Regina Hall they're both great I haven't seen this movie since it was in theaters but when I saw it in the theater Allison I laughed and I laughed hard so that is scary movie three that is available on Hulu and finally, another movie that made me laugh really hard in the theater, though not because it was a comedy, the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, which is available now on Netflix. It is about, well, it's the doomed remake of the Robin Hardy horror classic with Cage playing an emotionally traumatized cop. He is investigating the disappearance of a young girl on this island populated entirely by women. It is hilariously earnest. It is at times shockingly misogynistic. It is a unique experience. Everyone must see it once. You must see it. You must. You must experience The Wicker Man. And you can experience it right now on Netflix. Okay. Two listener recommendations. Our first comes from Michael Locker. And he is going to recommend the film, is it pronounced Howha? Howha. All right. I got it right. Howha. No less than Vero Mortensen instructed me on this. Okay. And he's in the movie, I think. He is. It would be funny if he just was a random guy who was like, he's a no, man. no. He's a very smart man. He <laughs> yes. knows a lot of things. He's worldly. He probably knows how to pronounce how. Anyway, Michael writes that it's a refreshing curiosity, which caught me off guard. For much of its runtime, the film feels like a minimalist period drama. As we observe a Danish gentleman played by... Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen and his young daughter uneasily passing time with encamped soldiers on a barren stretch of the Argentinian coast. It's artful and disquieting with long silent shots and very little information to glean other than a Herzogian sense that this father, daughter, and the unpleasant soldiers they're camping with are no match for this cold, unfeeling universe. Unmistakable themes of parental anxiety and adolescent awakening weave their way in, though, until Howha seamlessly arrives at a genuinely surreal and hallucinatory final third. It's quite a trick. Howha is ultimately cerebral to the point of opacity, meaning I haven't wrapped meaning I haven't wrapped my head around the writer director's intent, but I found it overall pretty impressive and memorable. So that's Howha, and that's recommended by Michael. Thank you, Michael. And we also have a recommendation here from Dylan, who writes. Please have XOXO as a listener's choice option. This looks like it could quite possibly be the most obnoxious movie ever made and seems to exemplify the quality of the majority of Netflix's original film programming that is replacing their dwindling film library. Plus, Allison should be excited as it appears to be the spiritual sequel to We Are Your Friends. I don't believe this person has watched We Are Your Friends. Good thank you. They would never say that. We are your friends. Being so was, dismissive. To explain, we are your friends was the was it the EDM movie with Zac Efron EDM movie, right? Which yes. which was a huge flop, a huge flop, but which had a few defenders, not just Allison. I will yes. say, but Allison was one of the big defenders of that movie. I think it is. It is one of those movies in which 
it understands the limitations of its main character's aspirations. Okay. And uh, this movie, XOXO, recently added to Netflix. It is also about DJs, young DJs in love or something like that. It does that. not appear to have many defenders. So it does, that's true. It does not appear to have <laughs> many defenders. But uh, there you go. So that is XOXO. It is available now on Netflix. Thank you, Dylan. All right. How about one from your my list? You gave me number nine, and right now on my my list, my number nine is thirty four thirty colon Soul Man. And you know I love a good thirty for thirty. I haven't watched this one yet. This one's Netflix plot description is: Sonny Vaccaro is the fast talking, controversial maverick who made sneaker endorsements for college teams and star players a basketball institution. So a subject I don't know a lot about, but sounds like a very interesting one, the rise of, you know, sort of money in sports and big money in sports and endorsements. Sounds like it could be very interesting. So that's uh, that's my my list pick this time. 30 for 30, Soul Man. Allison, it is your turn now. Are you ready to begin? No. Too bad. Let's start with three new releases. Okay, fine. Up on Netflix is Dead Set. This is a TV show from Charlie Brooker, who, among other things, was the creator of Black Mirror, which Netflix is making new episodes of that are going to be coming out soon. Mm -hmm. This was an earlier series he created, and it is a horror series, but also about Big Brother. It is, in fact, taking place in the Big Brother house during a zombie apocalypse, which is really one of the most fantastic premises Great I've premise. ever heard. Great premise. Yes. It's, uh, I think, five-episode miniseries. That's it. It's self-contained. Stars Jamie Winstone and the now, so hot right now, Riz Ahmed. So hot right now. Yes. Uh, amongst other, also some former Big Brother housemates. So that's Dead Set. That is on Netflix. Also on Netflix is Holy Hell. This is a 2016 documentary that was at Sundance this year, which is where I saw it. And then CNN picked it up and I think just recently aired it. It is directed by Will Allen and it is about his own experiences as part of a cult for over two decades. This cult called the Buddha Field. And it is, it cobbles together just a ton of footage from over these years because Will Allen was the official uh, filmographer of the cult and is, I think, a really intriguing movie, less about the leader and more about people who get drawn to and kind of hunger for belonging and allow themselves basically in this case to be slowly treated in more and more kind of like oppressive ways by by this person it is fascinating and sad and and really tragic uh holy hell on netflix and finally in a really interesting development heaven's gate which was a recent uh listener's choice option right of ours right did not after win. the recent passing of michael cimino uh the kind of great uh film modi 1980 film uh, that maybe ruined his career, has been added to Amazon and to Hulu 
But the version on Hulu is the two hour and 34 minute cut. The version on Amazon is the three hour and 39 oh, wow. minute cut. You can compare and yeah, contrast. So you can compare and contrast. Nice. Or if you are a purist, you can check out the Amazon version, which has obviously got a lot more footage to it. Um, but yeah, a rare instance in which two places got it at the same time and went for different, different versions. Cuts. That is that you're right. That is very rare that yeah. that happens. So that is on Amazon and on Hulu. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? Okay, first up, we have one from Michael in Leonia, New Jersey, who writes, I finally got around to the much-hyped Netflix series BoJack Horseman, and though I've never binge-watched any series on Netflix to date, I found myself plowing through all three seasons in two weeks. Google reminded me that the show was a previous recommendation back in SVU episode number 96, but Netflix dropped season three fairly recently, and the show deserves more attention. I was blown away by how great this series is. It has immediately become one of my favorite comedy and drama series on TV or TV-adjacent media platforms. The writing is top-notch, and the voice cast is spectacular. I am also a big fan of BoJack Horseman. I really recommend it. It has got a great balance of just... Uh, of comedy and just devastatingly sad drama. Um, so I second that recommendation, Michael. Thank you for writing to us. And then we got a recommendation from Leslie Lewis, who's written to us a bunch of times, a longtime listener, who writes, now streaming on Netflix, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell is an uber wonderful adaptation of the novel by Susanna Clarke. We are in an age where genre fiction has finally been accepted as quote-unquote real literature. Authors like Clark, uh, Michael Chabon, Atwood Gaiman, and Mayville uh, resculpt the novel into new forms. To render these works into a movie is a new problem for filmmakers. Most adaptations are just awful, kind of like taking a seven-course gourmet dinner and turning it into a McDonald's Happy Meal. This series is how adaptations should be done. We're given well-played, complex characters, and they all match and exceeded my picture of the folk in the novel. Eddie Marsden is a standout. The fil filmsters keep the integrity of the novel and translate it into seven great episodes. This is one show I could not binge watch because I did not want to step out of the world it created. Thank you for that, Leslie. All right, and one film chosen blindly by number from your my list. You gave me number six, which, in an incredible coincidence, is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. <laughs> I've actually had it on there for a while. I watched some of it while it was on television, and then I uh, did not get to watch the latter part for whatever reason, and so I've been starting over. But it is on my my list, and I do recommend it. I was a big fan of Susanna Clarke's novel, which was, came out, I think, a little over a decade ago. But it was kind of described as Jane Austen, but with magic at the time. And I think it's maybe a little more complicated and weirder than that. But that's certainly part of it. And that's something that's very enjoyable about it. All right. Let's talk about listeners' choice options for our next episode. Allison suggested, and I like the idea, that we do sort of a, a roundup of recent films. We've got three recent films. Although I had been told by someone with a lot of authority on the subject. The film was dead, Allison. Very dead. That? Yes. So I yeah. guess these are like zombies or something. These are zombie movies. That sounds exciting. Shuffling through the, the world, eating brains and whatnot. Not inaccurate, maybe. Maybe in some cases. Okay. You have the first option. What is it? Yes. Well, I, I do want to also say, 
I think we often we often sense as having been doing the show for a while, we often sense that the film libraries of something like Netflix have been shrinking. Mm. You know, these services has been shrinking, but also people are services are getting more competitive over signing deals with different distributors. Mm -hmm. And I think you can see that coming through here, certainly in this first pick, which is a film that was released by a 24 earlier this year. It is the witch which is available on Amazon Prime as of September 17th. This is Robert Eggers' acclaimed directorial debut, a 1960s New England horror story, or if you choose to look at it, a drama about a family that is gripped by fear of witchcraft and torn apart by their own paranoia. And uh, uh, this is a film that, got, I think, a lot of great word of mouth for very good reason. It is unusual in what it tries to do in terms of being a deeply historically accurate horror movie set in, you know, colonial New England in in somewhat historically accurate language. Um, so I think there's a lot to talk about there, including its treatment of gender, including its treatment of the idea of being historically accurate, and including what it does in terms of horror and what you're supposed to regard as what is real or not in its world. Um, so that is your first option. It is The Witch. It will be available on Amazon Prime on September 17th. All right. Option number two will be available on Amazon Prime and on Hulu on September 23rd. And it is last year's film, Sicario. This was directed by Denis Villeneuve. And it had a fantastic cast, including Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, and Josh Brolin. I believe this plot description I have here is from Wikipedia. It is about a, quote, principled FBI agent who was enlisted by a government task force to bring down the leader of a powerful and brutal Mexican drug cartel. And it's written by Taylor Sheridan who I'm interested to find out more about. It's like a former actor who wrote this. Still an actor, I Still think. Still an actor, yeah, okay. Yeah, working actor. And also wrote Helen, Helen High Water, which, Hell or High Water, which just came out a few weeks ago, and one of my favorite movies of, of this year. Of the summer, certainly. Certainly End of the, the summer, year. maybe yeah. of the whole year. Agreed. A really, really solid film. Certainly similar tonally, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so that, we could talk about him. And also Denny Villeneuve, a guy... A very talented guy. I think we've talked about some of his movies on the show before. He already has a new movie as well, Arrival, which is playing the fall festivals. Uh, that's a sci-fi film. So, yeah, there's a couple of different ways we could approach it in terms of themes, I think. And I, I think it's a very interesting movie to watch and to talk about. I've seen it already two or three times. Uh, would not mind watching it again, certainly. And I think we'd have a lot to discuss. So that's option number two, Sicario, which is available on Amazon Prime and Hulu on September 23rd. And your third option is part of a much-touted deal uh, between Disney and Netflix. It is Zootopia, which will be available on Netflix on September 20th. This is uh, the 55th Disney animated feature film in the like main lineup, you know, of the the classic and often much exploited uh, material that ends up becoming beloved characters and uh, action figures and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is the film that's uh, directed by Byron Howard and Rich Moore 
presented a world, a metropolis in which different animal species coexisted. It is a buddy cop movie between a rabbit police officer, Judy Hopps, voiced by Jennifer Goodwin, and a fox con artist, uh, Nick Wilde, who's voiced by Jason Bateman. But it is also a movie about racial bias. And in that way, it has certainly pulled off this great Trojan horsing of a very serious theme into a talking animal movie. So I think there's plenty to talk about there, including whether or not Zootopia's central metaphor holds together Mm. and including the very idea of, uh, you know, stealthily slipping a major and kind of very pressing, continually pressing theme into a children's movie this way. So that is your third option. It is Utopia, and it will be streaming on Netflix on September 20th. Yeah, I, I, I like, I, I'm, a, I'm a Disney fan. I enjoy Disney movies, but generally I don't know that there's always a lot to talk about on a show like this about a Disney movie. Sometimes there is, not always. In this case, we would have there's a so much to talk about. Yeah, so that would be a very good choice here. They're both, there's so much to say about all three of those films. You really can't go wrong, but... Only one can win. So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or just enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, September 19th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you will have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our next episode and the conversation therein, which will be on or around Tuesday, September 27th. And of course, filmspottingsvu.com is where you can also find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all of the titles we discuss on each episode. The Films Wedding SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can find more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review that you pick. And in the meantime, you can always follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. We will be headed to the Toronto Film Festival, so you can find a lot of our coverage mm-hmm. on Twitter and our various outlets from there. And, of course, you can always follow the show at filmspottingsvu.com or on Facebook, facebook.com. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was SVU. going to say that. You've We've been... been trying to keep it up a little bit more. Yes, so. it's, a, it's, it's worth liking that page for a variety of reasons. Yeah, so those are the places we announce the winner of each episode's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners and from me as I compulsively search various listing sites for new titles. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>